Hi, it's Belinda Norrington here and a big welcome to the Zio podcast. We've been doing a series of sermons recently on different types of prayer called Moments with God. And the kind of moment with God that I'm talking about this week is contemplation. A perhaps slightly old-fashioned sounding word and I wonder what it means to you. Thoughtfulness perhaps or, or quietness. Maybe an image of monks and nuns in solemn and silent prayer comes to mind. Or maybe you just think it sounds a bit boring, frankly, or or fluffy or even self-indulgent. So I'm going to lead us through an exploration of the what, how and why of contemplation in the context of Christian prayer. First, let's take a close look at what contemplation is and maybe what it isn't and why I believe that the Bible and the life of Jesus reveal it to be a central and living dynamic part of what it is to be in relationship with God and to be able to see the world and ourselves more as he does. So first of all, let's think about what contemplation isn't. Let's put a few of the myths on the shelf. So first of all, it's not about selfish escape from the world and our active responsibilities within it. Contemplation doesn't somehow let you float numbly above the complexities and the suffering of normal life and the pressing needs of the world. Praying contemplatively is not just about our own spiritual growth or nourishment as an end in itself. It's so that we live in deeper relationship with God and can give from a full cup and with open healed hearts to the world. As John Mark Comer, pastor of Bridgetown Church, Oregon says, the opposite of contemplation is not action, it's reaction. Secondly, contemplation is not really about relaxation per se. And I'm sorry if this is a bit disappointing, Because when we meet with the presence of God, we meet pure love and grace and peace. It is a natural outcome that a deep, centred sense of calm often does arise from a practice of contemplative prayer. But this bright light of love that we turn to in contemplation is also holy and it brings truth to all it touches. And that is definitely not always relaxing. Honestly, there's nothing like silence and solitude in God's presence to bring to the surface the weird shards of pain and and sorrow that we lumber around inside ourselves sometimes, as well as the defences of our ego and sometimes the slightly shady motivations of our hearts. I think this is one of the reasons that so many of us feel this odd kind of push-pull of wanting this level of intimacy with God on one hand, but on the other, kind of don't want it for fear of what will be brought to light inside of us, what we might have to deal with or, or let go of or admit to. But if that is you, I think we all easily forget that in prayer, the God we meet is the God of never-ending compassion and that we, in all, our, in all our mess, are safe because there is no condemnation, accusation or unkindness in God. But there is love and patience and the power to restore. So it's this kind of both and. What I mean is in yielding to God, yes, we meet with pure love and find the possibility of everything our soul most truly needs and deeply desires but also the hot white reality of how we really are inside and where we still need the healing and pruning touch of God in our lives. 
it's also not a quick fix it's a practice it's something i think we learn and lean into gradually over time it's it's simple but with our human busy brains and emotions it's not always easy so third thing that contemplation isn't is it's not about emptying your mind with Christian contemplation, we're not talking about a kind of clearing or escaping of the mind as in some other traditions and religions. It's kind of the opposite in that it's focusing the mind on the presence of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow and fill our engaged minds. And it's also definitely not some kind of trance or state of being where you're not in control of starting or stopping. Your free will and choice remains. You can start and stop as you like. So I hope that distinction is clear and reassuring if that has been of concern. Fourthly, contemplation of God is not you being silenced. I just sort of want to say that if this has happened to you in your life, that people have silenced you, if you've been told to be quiet, shut up, pipe down, if you feel like your voice has been taken away, then this is absolutely not what God is demanding of you. This is the place that you come to rest in when you've expressed everything that you want to and need to with God. And of course, you can still talk or praise or worship him as you wish, as you contemplate his presence. I really resist kind of more prescriptive notions of prayer because we're all made with this beautifully intricate diversity and God will relate with you in unique ways. And that's actually a thing to be celebrated. And finally, fifth, um, contemplation isn't just for a certain kind of person. I have heard this a little bit before. And I just want to say it's not just for, say, introverts or, or some kind of advanced spiritual practice for the super holy people, whoever they might be. Nor is it for middle class people or slightly hippie people or just for older people. It is modelled by Jesus because everyone of all stages, ages and personalities are welcome in the presence of God. So then, what is contemplation? The Dutch pastor Henri Nouwen has described all prayer as the intentional, concentrated and regular effort to create space for God. So contemplation fits into this understanding of prayer as creating space in our awareness for God. But if we want to fly in a bit closer to contemplation itself, here there is particular focus on the intentional turning and yielding of all that we are to God's presence within us, resting in his love and waiting and listening for him. Others have described it as beholding the face of God Others still use the biblical term of abiding in prayer, which is really beautiful. The reason why stillness and solitude and silence have been so associated with contemplation, I think, is that letting go of our busy stream of thinking and preoccupations and allowing our hearts to gently unfold towards God in surrender and love. You know, it takes some quiet to do that, in my experience. It takes some time. It often takes a bit of patience. And so even from a more neurobiological perspective, you'll know this, it takes time, doesn't it, to switch from our very active, task-orientated, doing mode of being where our minds and often our bodies are busy reacting to and, and sorting through a constant stream of stimuli to a more of a kind of being mode when we're able to tip into our calmer, parasympathetic nervous system. We can be more open, more receptive, 
more stilled at the centre, more able to be grounded and feel connected. Sometimes we can actually feel this happening in our physical bodies. Maybe our shoulders drift down from our ears a bit. Our furrowed brow might uncrease, the jaw unclenches. Often the heart rate and the breathing calm and slow down a bit. So we contemplate with all of us, including our physical bodies. In this sense, contemplation is a fully embodied type of prayer. All of us welcome and included in the circle of God's loving presence, our whole self turning and yielding to God. And you know, this, this being state that I've just mentioned, this kind of embodied feeling of deep awareness and focus, you most likely will have experienced something similar in inverted commas normal life. In other words, there are some common life experiences that can point us towards what this contemplative openness of heart towards God can feel like, that you might be able to relate to more easily. For example, if you think, um, if you're a parent, when you looked into the eyes of your newborn baby, when you were just gazing and looking and loving this new little person. You might have had that experience where everything else just seems to melt away. You don't know if you've been just gazing at your baby for a minute or 10 minutes or an hour. You're just there in the moment and something is happening that is beyond words. It's almost beyond time. So there's a bonding. There's a flow of love from you to this, to your baby. Or if you're not a parent, imagine, say you were a hiker and you loved going on these big adventurous walks and you're going up some big hill or something. Maybe there's the sea or a lake on the other side and, you know, you're hot and your, your feet are hurting and you're sweaty and your backpack is heavy and you've got your map and you're wondering if you're going the right way and maybe whether you've got enough water and what's it going to be like at the top and how long have you got before you've got to go home and your mind is busy and your body is busy and you get to the top and then, oh, there, there is the you and you're all alone and nature is so glorious and maybe there's like light bouncing on the surface of the water maybe there's birds circling overhead and and you just lose yourself in that moment you know if I've actually fallen to my knees once or twice in that moment just so aware of the God the creator God who makes all this beautiful world and, and, and again, like sometimes we lose a sense of, of how long we're there, just taking it in. We feel so alive. Often we remember these moments our whole life. I remember a moment like that in, in Ireland, looking over the Kerry Peninsula. I, I was 15 years old and I remember it to this day. It was such a powerful moment. I felt like I, I met with God in that moment. I wasn't worshipping nature. I was worshipping the God who, who created this beautiful world that I get to be part of. Maybe you can relate to some of these kind of things. In all of these moments, the key thing is that we feel fully present, alive in a different way, focused, less aware of the minutes of chronological time passing. The Greeks call this chronos time and more sensing the kairos time, the particular moments of opportunity and significance that feel full of expansive grace and connection. Notice there's a lack of rush in these moments. There's a softening of our need to control. There's a deeper sense of connection. And, and maybe that at least for this moment and at some deepest level of our being, there's space enough telling us that somehow, somewhere, all is well. These are the deep, 
beautiful, fully present moments that I think scripture shows again and again are possible with God in prayer. We only have to read the joy of David dancing with abandon before God in the Psalms or, or those prophets on their faces before the divine or, or Paul's poetically exquisite revelation of the true nature of love in 1 Corinthians 13 to catch the drift that there are untold depths of connection possible between the hearts of humans and the heart of their maker. I'm just aware it's really hard to put language to some of this stuff so if you'll bear with my metaphors and images as I kind of struggle a bit to wrap words around the ineffable but I do wonder if you like me feel that so often when we pray we forget about this type of deep soul connection with God we we can motor through our prayer list and we can talk at rather than with God sometimes and speed through maybe the next chapter of our devotional but just forget to be to gaze, to surrender, to listen to God. And I know that that is true of me and I've spent much of my Christian walk in the past parched in my soul for God, forgetting that he was present waiting for me within me all the time, not far off in heaven as I feared and maybe had been taught. I can certainly also testify to the fact that my times of contemplatives just sitting with and being with God have been some of the most powerful transformational moments of prayer in my life and I have felt equipped and guided there into some of the best decisions and and actions of my life. They have been an absolute lifeline of hope and strength when intense suffering erupted in the lives of people I love most in the world. But, hands up here, my experience is anecdotal, right? You could just write it off and I I wouldn't expect you to do something because it was so brilliant for me. But if you're a Christian, I might expect you to take what Jesus says and modelled for us in his earthly life very seriously. Because here's the thing, Jesus talked a lot about this deep communion and abiding he had with God his Father. In the Gospel of Luke alone, the author bothers to note no less than nine times moments when Jesus left his work and crowds and busyness and headed out to lonely, isolated places to be with God. Here is one example found in Luke 5, 15 to 16, when the crowds had been following Jesus and they'd become so huge and pressing that he had to ask a man that he'd just healed of leprosy to keep it a secret, which incidentally he didn't. And at this moment, Luke records... After this miracle, the news about Jesus spread even farther. Massive crowds continually gathered to hear him speak and to be healed from their illnesses. But Jesus often slipped away from them and went into the wilderness to pray. Now, I've explored this passage in some depth in my shorter Sunday morning sermon on this topic. So do take a listen to that on the Zio channel on YouTube if you didn't catch it live. But I think it bears repeating here that Luke reveals Jesus regularly went into solitary places to be in prayer with God alone. Not occasionally, not once in a while, but frequently. It seems Jesus had an established rhythm of life where he knew he needed to step out of the busyness of life and work and human relationships and be alone with his father. In fact, it seems the busier he was, the more he withdrew to be with God in these solitary places to pray, maybe to find headspace and realign himself with the goodness and grace of God. Do we do that? I know I often don't. What's our attachment like to the demands and busy pace of our days? Notice too that Jesus withdrew to very specific types of places. The word is 
eremos in the original New Testament Greek, and that refers to places which are unpopulated and secluded. Now, we don't need to find mountains or deserts, but we do need to find places which are ruthlessly free of distraction and interruption as possible. And where we can just be fully present to God in exactly the ways that we need to be without restrictions and distractions. So top practical tip, please put your phone and laptop in a different room. These devices, as brilliant and as useful as they are, are designed to be addictive and they crank up your nervous system and they're such a distraction. You know, I'm, I'm aware, really aware, that my phone is probably the main thing between me and my time with God, something I'm working on. So when I think of Jesus going off to these secluded Ramos places to be with God, I can see a link here back in uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter six, verse six, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says with great precision and clarity, so there can be no confusion. Here is what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. That's from the message version. This is such a beautifully simple description of prayer and contemplation. Perhaps it's a description of how he prayed in his Eremos places and he's passing that on to his friends and then to us. Although we don't get to see often exactly how Jesus prayed to God in his moments um, of, of solitary time, it is recorded that it was often for hours at a stretch and that elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of this oneness and a deep abiding with God. So, so I think we can assume without too much of a stretch that some or even much of this time would have been in loving, surrendered, listening contemplation of God waiting, as this Matthew passage suggests, for a deep and felt sense of grace. Notice in this Matthew passage too that the insistence on the quiet secluded places crops up again and in the um, New King James Version the same passage is wrapped in slightly different language. It says when you pray go into your room and when you have shut your door pray to your father who is in the secret place and the father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Many other translations say to go into your inner room or your inner chamber or inner closet to find God in this secret place. And it becomes clear that when the Bible talks of inner rooms and chambers and secluded secret places, it's not just talking about external locations, although you know they're important, but it's also talking about internal quiet spaces. You know, it might be a lot easier to find the quiet external place to pray but actually God is also after always that we find that internal place of stillness and connection to him within us. And my goodness, the whirlwind busyness of the human mind and emotions can feel quite the challenge to still in prayer. And that's why in the long, long Christian tradition of contemplative prayer, there have been so many practices to help us quiet in our minds so that we can focus on God. There are breath prayers and centering prayers. There's the Jesus prayer. There's meditation on scripture. There are these and so many other beautiful ways to pray given to us from right across the Protestant, Catholic and Eastern Orthodox parts of the Christian family of believers. All born out of this desire to create quiet space in our awareness for Jesus. 
And you could Google some of these, but as we know, Google can send us to some pretty fruity places. So here's a few that are really great sound places to discover some of these um, practices. So the first one is just called The Practice Podcast. Um, there's also the Renovare Podcast, Renovare spelt R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E. And there's also practicingtheway.org. These, these are all great places to start if you're interested. Also, of course, there is the contemplation chapter in Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, that we're sort of reading alongside this sermon series. And that has some great practical ideas alongside the theological ones. But just start with a few minutes when instead of all your wonderful doing, your reading, your studying, your talking and thinking with God, just come to rest and stillness. Just that being with God, somewhere quiet, gazing on him from the place of your heart, listening, loving, quiet, nothing to fix or achieve. Just start there for a few minutes every day. So we've looked a bit at the what and how of contemplation now, but I'm concerned that we might not be motivated unless we understand the why. So here are five reasons to embrace contemplative prayer in some way, shape or form that works for you. Firstly, obedience and trust. You know, we're apprentices of Jesus and we need to notice these things that Jesus advises so clearly about prayer and how he models them in his own life. That's just part of being a student or a disciple or an apprentice. So there's the element of simple trust and obedience in there. Secondly, empowerment and grounding. You know, what catches my curiosity is that so often in the Gospels, there is this direct link between these times of retreat into contemplation that Jesus did with the empowering and anointing that followed. So when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, he left that desert place on fire with the spirit, authority and anointing pouring out of him in acts of extraordinary healing and miracle and preaching powerful enough to draw thousands to listen and have their lives changed forever. Try tracking every time in the Gospels when Jesus went to his Eremos places, what he did when he returned from them. And I think you will find almost every time he immediately stepped into acts of amazing power and authority. He walked on water, he healed people, he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he faced his march to crucifixion, and so on and so on. Being alone in the presence of God, open and just surrendered of heart and focused of mind, changes us from the inside out. And it guides and empowers our steps as we head back into the thrum of the world and all its needs. I think over time we've become refueled in this place, steadied and more deeply aware of Christ within us at all times. And we're helped to navigate our days from a calmer, less reactive, more God-focused centre. Thirdly, our freedom and transformation. Ori Nowen, who I mentioned earlier and who does not mince his words, goes on to say this. A life without a quiet centre easily becomes delusional. When we cling to the results of our actions as our only way of self-identification, we become possessive, defensive and dependent on false identities. In In the solitude of prayer, we slowly unmask the illusion of our dependencies and possessiveness and discover in the centre of our own self that we are not what we can control or conquer, but what is given to us from above to channel to others. 
So I think this is an, another important piece in the why of contemplation. We are freed from our own delusions and defence structures and become more the people that we were made by God to be. And people who are moving towards being free and healed and full of grace are exactly what our world needs. As the early desert mothers and fathers of our faith in kind of like the third and fourth centuries said, we retreat from the world for the world. In other words, we immerse ourselves in love with a capital L in order to be love in the world. Is this partly, do you think, what Jesus is doing in the lonely places? disentangling himself from the temptations and the distractions of the world and fully re-immersing himself in the loving presence of his father, receiving all he would need for the next stretch of the road. And maybe the next stretch of the road ahead for you looks pretty tough or daunting as it does for many of us in 2020. Might we take a leaf from Jesus's book and seek the face of God in blessed quiet and stillness and allow him to refresh and guide with peace into the days ahead. Fourthly, as we get used to training our heart on Jesus in contemplation, so we kind of get our eye into spotting his presence and his voice everywhere, including him present in others. We begin to live contemplatively as well as pray contemplatively. Our actual physical eyes in our head are taking in the literal happening around us, but the eyes of our heart are beginning to be able to sense and follow the spirit at work below the surface as Jesus did. We learn this slowly, bit by bit, over the years. Lastly, as we learn to be present to God in stillness and in silence, we become more aware of the infinite enormity and power and goodness of God. In a sense, those things should reduce us to awed silence sometimes, right? You know, let, let me quote a theologian, Pete Enns here. He says, if there is a God, a higher power, a supreme being who is behind all this, I feel we should just stop talking for a minute. And well, just stop talking for a minute. Smart people tell us that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old and the edge of the observable universe is about 46.5 billion light years in any direction from Earth. Light travels at about 5.87 trillion miles a year. When I multiply 5.87 trillion by 46.5 billion to get the total number of miles from Earth to the edge of the observable universe, my calculator spits out 2.70231100992, capital E, 23. Capital E 23 means the numbers to the left are to be multiplied by 10 to the 23rd power. Add to this that there are billions upon billions of galaxies in our universe, each containing billions of stars. We cannot remotely comprehend these numbers. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have subatomic particles, as if atoms weren't small enough, and string theory. How beyond imagining is this creator God we worship? and how mind-blowingly loving and humble to come to earth, this little blue planet in the midst of affinity, and live and die amongst us in Jesus, and offer us a safe home for our hearts forever. Contemplation gives us space to be with the utter mystery of these enormities. And as, with the help of the Spirit, we practice being present with all we have to God, so we might become better at being fully present to the beauty and wonder and awe, the sheer mystery of existence. 
There is nothing boring about this. It's exciting. We begin to live more fully awake, more fully alive to the depth and texture and complexities of life. The utter wonder and glory of the divine who has chosen to walk amongst us in it all. So I'm going to finish by circling back to where I began. Contemplative prayer is just a slightly posh way of describing spending time quietly opening our hearts and awareness to God, to the ground of our being. It is exactly the invitation from God revealed way back thousands of years ago in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And furthermore, the healing, the transforming, leading of the Holy Spirit that you meet in your secret Eremos place with God will be with what will be what you carry out to others in the world it will be what people see shining out of you your presence will be more full and radiant of his presence so that the song and the, the poetry the real impact of your life will be lifted and energized by your heart's proximity and openness openness to the love that you have gazed on so let's be inspired by Jesus's example and regularly slip away to our secret eremos places with God, to be grounded, to be filled and renewed by the intimate, peaceful presence of God, not just for our good, but for the good of the world. Amen.